Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. Yes, we are. We've got listener questions lined up for you today. We're going to talk about a 0% balance transfer card, if that makes sense for a particular listener. Another listener is wondering what she should be doing with an out-of-control car loan. And I'm really excited about this question, but a listener, she's trying to make the most of a sabbatical. Because typically when you make, when you are taking a sabbatical, you don't make a whole lot of money, right? Because you're not working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but how can you actually use that sabbatical to boost your finances. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is what we're going to be talking about today. It's like counterintuitive, but also revolutionary. Like it's possible <laughs> to, act- to actually like get paid less, but make some far- smart financial moves in the process. So mm-hmm. we'll talk about that and more uh, on today's episode, Matt. Real quick, just kind of a, a PSA for folks. Uh, the, there's still time to contribute to a Roth IRA for calendar year 2023. 
We're less than uh, you got less than two months to do so now. But I think people forget. Oh, just because When's the deadline something like, like March seventeenth. It's it's never on March fifteenth. It's always I'm sorry, not March. April. Uh, April. Yeah. It's it's never actually April fifteenth. No, it is. It's, it's, it's March fifteenth. Filing deadline for the business for your business. Oh, okay. I've got business on my mind. No, it's usually the tax filing deadline. So it is, but but the tax filing never. I feel like in the past few years, it's always been like oh seventeenth or eighteenth. Yeah, yeah, it's like no, I'm pretty sure it's, it's on the fifteenth this year on a weekend. So um, April fifteenth. It, it's just I think some pe- sometimes people wonder or they're logging in let's say to make a contribution and they see that they can make a contribution for 2023 and for 2024 they're a little confused they're not sure which one to do but if you haven't maxed out your Roth for 2023 yet don't start sticking money in 2024 Roth yet continue to put it in 2023 you might not be able to max it out hopefully you can but until you've kind of exhausted or gone past that point where you can contribute to the Roth IRA for last year whether it's by maxing it out or getting or reaching that date where the drop dead date that's when you want to start then prioritizing the 2024 Roth bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like I picture it being on this sort of conveyor belt. It's on this conveyor belt of time, and it's this bucket, and it's starting to slide under the wall. But That's you know right. what? Like, there's still a little bit of that bucket left open, and you can toss your money into that bucket real quick. Sounds like a game show. I kind of picture it almost like a, <laughs> like an arcade game or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's like you're, you're reaching that deadline, but you got to phone a friend and get that Throw money. It in there. <laughs> yeah, in the Roth IRA 2023. That's right. All right. Let's introduce our beer. You and I are enjoying a Hop Showers. This, I'm pretty sure, is going to be another great one by Other Half Brewing. Excited to enjoy it and share our thoughts at the end of the episode. If they make a bad beer, I'd be curious to taste it because, like, never had one. Uh, never had one. That sucked from them. So, yeah, we'll give our thoughts on this one. Also, later. I'll say folks are probably thinking, man, they've been drinking a lot of Other Half. Well, we had a listener uh, send us, like, an Other Half care package directly from the brewery. That was amazing. It was because, too, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was, that was huge. But then, I don't think we've touched on this, but you were able to go and you picked up a bunch in person while you were up there. When was that? That was October. October, yeah, which is crazy. But again, like we discussed recently, still good. Still good. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's get to the, the listener questions for today. And if you have a money question you want Matt and I to tackle on an upcoming episode, we'd love to hear it. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask for the simple instructions for how to submit your voice memo. But really, that's all it is. Recording a voice memo, sending it our way via email at howtomoneypod at gmail.com. And Matt, this first question comes from a listener who is wondering, hey, can I use a sabbatical to my financial advantage? Hey, Matt and Joel, this is Ariel calling out of Philadelphia. And I have a kind of unique situation this year where I decided to quit my job and take some time for myself. I had built up some savings and was able to travel and kind of reset. Um, And I wanted to take the opportunity to take some of my 401k earnings. And while I have very, very little income for this year, possibly transfer those using a backdoor Roth IRA, especially considering um, maybe I won't end up paying many taxes on it considering my income. So I was calling to see if you guys had any words of wisdom for how I could accomplish that. Love the podcast and thanks for your input. All right, Ariel. And first off, we love that you are using some of this financial freedom, some of this financial independence that you have gained to your advantage. Yeah. Uh, and we specifically talk about the stages of FI and sabbatical FI. That's one of them. Reaching financial independence. It is not this all or nothing endeavor. And we think that despite using, what many people say. Yeah, no, it does not. It's not a it's not a binary decision. And I think if you can just use some of this hard earned freedom along the way, well, that's something that we would encourage. And we hope that this time for you has been refreshing. You can hopefully maybe get back out there, kick some more butt. Although I take that back because that assumes 
you want to kick butt. And I feel like one of the things you do when you are on a sabbatical is you kind of do some introspection because we don't know how much Ariel has set aside and socked away into retirement. We don't know how old she is. Maybe you have taken this time to realize, you know what? I don't want to get back into the uh, the hustle and bustle of life, if that's something that uh, you, that you're capable of. So I want you to live the life that you want to live, Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think a sabbatical can really help you hone in on what that is for you. Yes. Um, it's well, really hard kind of in the rigors of yeah. the day-to-day, the week-to-week, mm. the month-to-month, and just kind of the... the I don't want to say daily grind, but for a lot of people, it, it feels like a daily grind. It yeah. is a daily grind. Yeah, we don't oftentimes give ourselves enough time to reflect. And ho- yeah, I hope that Ariel is not just restful, but that it's a time to actually think about some of the different things we want in life. I think that's one of the great things about sabbaticals and what they allow you to do. Yeah, she might decide she wants to get out of consulting and wants to start like a goat yoga practice or something like that. <laughs> and I would be all about that. I think it's great. Like, start your own business, Ariel, whatever it is. Like, or a cat cafe. Cat. That's, that's where you sit there and So many the options. Uh, so many animal-based options. Yeah, that's that's what we're all about here. Maybe open up a place <laughs> called the Hamster House. I don't know. <laughs> whatever you're into. Is it like a Happy Meals and Hamsters? It's like a, it's a, it's a burger joint and there's hamsters running around in the tubes? That just sounds <laughs> whack, but did I kind of like it. Did you that ever... sounds like something you'd find in Japan, doesn't did... it? It kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever have uh, a hamster as a kid growing up? No, I did have a bunny rabbit. Though. Everybody had a hamster Named in Skittles. the nineties. And my daughter asked me the other day. She said, "Did you ever feed Skittles a bunny?" Skittles. I was like, "No, nah, I'm pretty sure that would have been no, that would have been terrible <laughs> bunny rabbit abuse." Uh, yeah, yeah. My hamster died in the pool. Oh, he escaped out of the uh, escaped out of his cage, chewed through the wire screened in porch. And found him on the top step of the of the pool. You had like a MacGyver hamster. My goodness. <laughs> he was resourceful. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back to the question at hand. Sorry, Ariel. Ariel's yeah, question. Getting derailed. We digress with our jokes. Uh, well, I think the truth is, too, that if you plan things well, you can use a sabbatical or a lower earning year to make some impactful financial moves that are in your long-term best interest. So most of the time, Matt, people think of it as like, all right, I've socked away enough money. I can take this six months, nine months, one year off or whatever, and I'm not going to be screwed financially for doing so. But the truth is there's actually some positive impact you can make on your finances, even while you're stepping away from a job. And so, yeah, not making much money will, of course, put you in a lower income tax bracket, reducing how much you owe uh, in taxes. And so if you opt to do what Ariel is doing and you shift some funds, let's say from a traditional to a Roth account in a low-income year, you can potentially avoid tax altogether by doing a conversion of those funds. And Ariel, she mentioned a backdoor Roth, but this is actually all about converting money that you funneled into traditional accounts and turning those dollars into Roth dollars that are going to grow and be spent tax-free in the future. So Mm -hmm. yeah, this is the perfect chance, lower-income year, pay much less tax, potentially zero tax on money that you're converting. That's right. Yeah. And so, Joel, you just mentioned avoiding taxation completely. How much tax you'll be able to avoid on this conversion, it depends on how much you actually make this year. And because of the much higher standard deduction, if you make basically nothing, well, you can convert up to $14,600 for single filers and nearly $30,000 if you're married filing jointly. Specifically, it's, uh, I think, $29,200. And any dollars converted that keep your AGI under that threshold won't be taxed. But you might want to convert even more, and that actually might make sense, too. Because especially if dollars you're converting are just, they're simply going to be in the 10 or the 12% tax bracket, this is likely going to, again, one of the lowest earning years where you are going to be able to convert some of those funds without having to pay a ton of tax. Yeah, you might want to avoid tax altogether. It's pretty hard to do that in your life, but a super low tax bracket is a pretty it, good time to do it. It's also a good thing. Yeah. yeah. So once you start moving beyond that point, it's uh, likely best to not do any more conversions. But ultimately, we do think that rolling at least some of those 401k funds into a Roth IRA 
it can make a ton of sense for you in this low income year. And it would be even more ideal if the market were also down. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, that's that's not the case. That would be a double whammy, right? <laughs> if, the, if the market was down 20, 25%, and you're in a year where you are making next to nothing, able to make those conversions, and you also have the cash on hand mm. to pay the tax That's for right. those conversions that you're making, that would right? That be the best. Yeah, so that takes me back to our conversation, actually, with um, tax professional Sean Mullaney in November. He's goes by the Phi Tax Guy online. And this is exactly why he's a fan of contributing to your traditional 401k and not opting for the Roth option. And, and I think so much depends on your income and your expected income about which one makes the most sense for you in a given year. But his whole point is, and I totally see why he stresses this, is that it allows for future tax planning, right? If you take the tax hit now, well, you can't really plan to take it at a better time for you in the future. You've kind of already baked in the tax cake at that point. And so this is a, a, a chance for Ariel to say, listen, I took the tax break maybe in a higher earning year, and now I'm going to pay the taxes in a lower earning year, yep. which is just smart, right? That's how you do it. Yeah. And, and not everyone is going to take a lengthy sabbatical like Ariel did, right? Experiencing a year of little to no income. But still, we would stress that it's possible to find smart times to make a conversion that are going to help you to pay fewer taxes overall. And if you can contribute uh, straight to the Roth, that can still make sense. But so much depends, again, on how much you make, your AGI, whether or not you desire that future flexibility, and um, like what your likely retirement date is, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot that goes into this. If you're a prepared planner, these types of moves can save you thousands of dollars or even tens of thousands of dollars save in, you a ton of money. in future taxation. So this is not some sort of like insignificant move, it can move the needle in regards to your whole holistic tax picture. Yeah, and actually, we've got a post up on the website about how you can perform a Roth conversion, and it's specifically for early retirees, but bottom line, the mechanics are the same. You don't have to be early retiring in order to pull this thing off. You can kind of like semi-early retire in the form of a sabbatical, and still, this concept applies. Exactly, yeah, and we're specifically discussing those conversions after retiring, but we want you to do some of that along the way, just like you're taking this little mini vacation. No, it's not even a mini vacation, it's like a mini retirement retirement along the way, but making these conversions now up to a point, not beyond those those income thresholds, of course, within this year that you know, you're know you going to earn next to nothing, it's going to help you to realize these tax savings on future growth. And you didn't specifically say that you're moving to a different brokerage, but if you are, and you are doing something more than just changing the type of account basically that those funds are in, you are going to have to fill out a bunch of paperwork, initiate a transfer. Uh, and were you to do that, make sure that you initiate a trustee to trustee transfer as opposed to having them cut you a check. Because once you were to do that, that's when the clock starts ticking and you've got 60 days in order to, to get those funds yeah. within a, a Roth or within a retirement account before you get penalized significantly before you get taxed significantly. And that's something that we want you to avoid. But hopefully... Yeah, don't let the money hit your hands. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you let's say your work-sponsored 401k is with, let's say, Fidelity. And so, it's a, that's an easy conversion. You yep. don't even... Those funds don't even need to leave the house. Simple maneuver. Yeah, for sure. It's and just changing rooms within the house. So, we're just hoping, yeah, you're in a, a low-cost house, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> already. And a very you, affordable house. Yeah, and you just move that, to a... That does the a different, a great job. But for it's you. important to mention, and I mentioned this briefly, Matt, that she, that Ariel has, if she is uh, converting some money that is above that standard deduction threshold, that she has enough money set aside in tax to pay come next April because she's 
going to be hit with a tax bill and but you can pretty much identify well how big is that tax bill going to be oh i made 30 grand this year and i'm converting 60 grand i'm going to owe somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 11% on that 60 grand so you can kind of figure out about how much you're going to owe but you want to plan for that because you don't want to be left in the lurch and eradicate all your savings or worse not have enough savings on hand to pay the tax once it comes due that's right and especially if you're not making money like it could get tight so you just want to make sure you're buttoned up on that front and one other thing i wanted to mention matt our our friend jillian johnsford she talks about retiring often i think she's taken something like 12 mini sabbaticals Mm -hmm. we need to have her on the show actually soon to talk about that but i I think that's a a really healthy approach we talk about how most americans don't take their vacation time the vacation time that's allotted to them and even when they do they're like tied at the hip to their email or taking phone calls and stuff like that we have an unhealthy relationship to our work and and like you said kind of at the beginning this can be a great time to take stock but it, it yes. can also be just a great practice to say, listen, I'm just going to take the time that I'm allotted off. And actually, I'm going to try to take more than that because I think it's actually going to help make me help me be able to enjoy my job, continue on in my career, and not, not get burned out. And That's uh, true. If you ask most Americans, guess what? They're burned out in their day job. And that's a that's a bad trend. The other thing I wanted to mention real quick, our friend Joel mentioned this to PS, me. PSS. 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 He mentioned this to me, and he's spot on. He's taken so many sabbaticals, too. And he said, if you're going to take a year off, plan it uh, from July to July. The reason being, that way you have two years of lower income instead of just one year. You've got multiple years to plan your taxes, two years in which you can potentially save bigger on taxes. That makes a lot of sense. All right. We've got more to get to, including a listener who is considering a lease, specifically a car lease, in order to get out of a sticky financial situation. We'll get to that more right after this. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So, it's safe to say, it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, 
but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, Matt, we're back. We've got more listener questions to get to on this episode. A lot of really good ones today. And this next one comes from a listener who took out a car loan, and it sounds like the dealership kind of messed her over. Hi there, this is Alexandra from Pittsburgh. I uh, just uh, wanted to say I love the podcast, and I was wondering if you guys could help with um, a car loan that I have for a vehicle that was listed originally for 16000 but by the time I left the dealership, uh, it was 25000 So now it has a negative balance, and I'm trying to get into a lease because this is just keep depreciating. Like There's no way to put value in this car right now and appreciate it more than... I don't know, seven, eight thousand dollars maybe. So I, I'm trying to figure out what what's my recourse like. I don't know how to get out of this. Thank you. Bye. All right, Alexandra. First of all, we are incredibly sorry to hear that you bought what you thought was going to be a sixteen thousand dollar car, but then the dealership that you went to added in some ridiculous fees and jacked up the price. Yes. We actually so we, we recently talked about the cars rule. Uh, that was currently an FTC proposal, and that would actually tamp down on dealerships and because they are the, the worst offenders at sticking in ridiculous warranties, unnecessary fees that increase the price of the car. It's not like every dealership is pulling no, crap like this, but man, there are a number of... Like, there's a reason the FTC is going in this direction, trying to create a rule like this, because there's enough of them that treat people like Alexander got treated, and they want to put the kibosh on that. That's right, and it would help to reduce this very kind of experience, and it sounds like... Honestly, it sounds like you were taking advantage of, which really pisses me off. And now it has put you in a tough financial position. And so you can't undo this necessarily. But that being said, there are some things that you can do to mitigate the negative financial impact. Yeah. And I share your frustration, Matt. It's tough to see someone who is trying to do their best, buy a used car, buy a used car at a reasonable price, kind of get screwed over to the tune of thousands and thousands of dollars that she can't afford to lose. Um, and, and Alexander, you mentioned getting rid of this car and hopping into a lease. That is not the route we'd suggest you take. And in fact, it'll put you in even more difficult shape from a financial perspective. So we definitely don't want you to go in that direction. Leasing is almost never smart on the money front. Like there are, I guess, is the the rare exception where a, uh, a mani- car manufacturer has way too many of a certain model and marks down the leases significantly. But that is, I will say, that is rare indeed. And so it's basically a lifestyle choice, a lifestyle move for mm-hmm. folks who have plenty of cash and that new car smell every two or three years is their craft beer equivalent. Like they're like, listen, I know it's not smart financially, but I've got the money to do it and I'm going to do it anyway. And um, that's just not where you're at right now. So we know it's not uh, what you want to hear, 
But our suggestion would be to keep the car and to do the best with the tough hand that you've been dealt. It feels like tough medicine, especially when kind of someone else has infected you with some sort of crummy virus, right? But I do think that that's your best path forward. And we've got some other advice for you here, too. But keeping that car longer, time is going to help heal that wound. That's right. Well, and specifically, like she's she's looking to Elise in order to... it seemed like she was really upset about the fact that like how much it's depreciated and how basically she's upside down in it. But like that is what cars do. Like cars do not appreciate. They always go down in value. That's the unless, reality for most car owners. Unless who you have, have a, a classic car like my buddy that's got an 80s FJ, which has actually gone up in value. Yeah. But that's a, an incredibly different type of vehicle. And that's not what most people are, are driving. I'm hoping if I hold on to my 2005 Acura in like 25 years, <laughs> guess what? It's going to it's going to be a classic, too. It's not what's going to happen, most likely, though, <laughs> because cars do depreciate. They go down in value. And I think the one of the difficulties is when we think about cars like they are really expensive. And so we mentally put them in the same category as like a house. Right. Because you're like, oh, this is something it's a I don't know. You get inside both of them. They both keep you dry when it's raining. <laughs> you put uh, one inside of the other if you have a garage. <laughs> but cars are not the same as homes. Homes, which typically do appreciate, and cars only depreciate. And instead, we would recommend for you to think about cars like any other good that you would purchase. Like think about them like as uh, like a, as a jacket or as a pair of shoes. They or a book. D- they're going to do the job that they do. But then beyond that, they're not going to be worth more money after the fact, contrary to uh, most homes. Typically. Just have a garage sale and see if you get anything close to what you paid for any of the items you're selling. Yeah, exactly. But Joel, you're, you're talking about for her to hang on to the car. That is exactly the right move, because I think we also have a tendency to like distance ourselves from something that is even remotely associated with a bad experience. Yeah. And so it's almost like a knee jerk emotional reaction where you're like, I want to get that thing as far away from me as possible, but that doesn't necessarily mean that this is a bad car for you. You're right. You're like, I got jobbed, so it's time for me to get rid of this thing and distance myself from the emotional pain that this car is providing. Yeah, and so maybe every time you see that car, it reminds you of maybe how you were treated poorly. And, man, I freaking hate that. Like, that is the part that really pisses me off. But just because you owe more than the car is now worth, it doesn't mean that you should look to get out of this financial arrangement and into another. And in fact, that it's going to put you even more upside down on the next car that you buy. And you, you wouldn't be alone in taking that route. A lot of folks do that. But if you walked into a dealership now, if you try to trade in that car at a meaningful loss with a desire to roll that loan into the new loan on a new car or even a gently used car, you're likely going to have to pay an even higher interest rate. Your payment would increase and the length of your loan would increase as well. Like every single one of those things would set you back uh, from a financial standpoint. And it, Again, we're just so sorry to. Yeah, I feel like we're just the bearers of bad news. Well, here. And, and you take it in there, and guess what? The dealer is all likely going to be like, "Cool, you said it was worth sixteen. I think it's worth 12. <laughs> According to yep. Kelly Blue Book and trading values and stuff like that, the uh, the dealership's not going to pay you as much as the car is actually worth. And so it just it, you're compounding a bad situation instead of solving it. You're actually like going further and deeper into a financial hole. And so we actually we want you out of car debt. The sooner the better. That's the goal. And again, it's harder to do that if you're changing rides, you're taking out longer loans for more money. So depending on how long ago you finalize this purchase, though, I would say you might actually want to go right back to that dealership and talk to a manager about how you were treated and the additional fees you were saddled with. This is, uh, you don't necessarily have legal recourse. They don't have any legal obligation to do anything for you. In basically every state, it's kind of like, hey, 
you bought it you made the purchase you made the purchase and yeah. like there's no recourse uh, there's no return policy and and the only exception that i know of is like carvana and carmax who have their own but even then it's not some sort of like legal state law or, or right that you have it's, it's just, just their policy it's just how they roll yeah and so what i would say though is a face-to-face appeal could get you some sort of concession right it's at least worth trying to have that conversation and i would say don't go in there huffing puffing mad but say hey listen i was told the price was this I didn't realize until after the fact that all of these fees had been included. This is pretty frustrating. Is there anything that we can do to kind of help me claw back some of that cash that I wasn't expecting to spend? Yeah. And and I will say this, if they uh, laugh in your face or if they say, no way, Jose, you can even look up picketing laws in your state. And that might be a good tactic to get tactic to get them to to take some action yeah. if you're legally picketing in front of their business on a saturday on one of the busiest days of the week they might say they're not gonna whoa, like that whoa 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 <laughs> alexandra we will we'll work with you okay well yeah. guess what we'll give you two thousand bucks back and you might say great okay that's <laughs> I deal would, i would take that uh, but that because you could be costing them a lot of business on a, especially on a weekend by doing something like that. as long as you're doing it legally and above board and not defaming them in the process yeah you might be able to see some action that you otherwise wouldn't get yeah yeah it might even be worth reporting to the uh, better business bureau it might be worth checking with your state attorney Attorney General's office as well. And is that guaranteed to help you to get justice? Probably not. But honestly, like if enough complaints are filed, I mean, that's going to tip off other consumers in the future. And I think Google review too. I would leave a Google review. Sure. Yeah. Like we we're trying to turn some of your frustration and your anger. We're we're trying to channel that into a like, I guess, a more productive direction. Uh, And by the way, one thing that you might be able to do is to refinance this loan with a credit union at a lower rate, depending on what your rate is. And that's obviously going to help to lower those payments. So, yeah, keep that in mind. But from here on out, and just to all uh, of the How to Money listeners out there, just be so careful when you are buying a car. Again, second to your house, it's the most expensive purchase, but don't think of it as (laughs) something that's going to go up in value. It's very different in that way. But uh, Alexandra, just remember, the longer you keep this car, the less egregious those extra charges are going to feel. And, and again, we're so sorry this happened, but we yeah, we wish you the best of luck and let us know how else we might be able to help you in the future. Yeah, and th- this is a crummy situation. You're making lemonade out of lemons here, right? Mm-hmm. It, there is no sort of like, oh, like going back to the day before you bought the car, there's no way to kind of eradicate this decision. But there are ways, I think, to mitigate the negative downsides of this decision in a way that hopefully uh, you can stomach while also sticking up for yourself. Uh, all right, Matt, let's get to our next question. This one is kind of a nerdy one about how much money you can take out of your accounts once you hit retirement. Hi, guys. It's Scott in Florida. My question is about the 4% rule for Roth and 403B withdrawals. I'm getting fairly close to retirement, maybe in about five years, and trying to calculate my retirement income. I will have two pensions covering about 40 to 50% of my current income, plus Social Security, and I have the 403B and Roth IRA. It seems like withdrawing 4% is too conservative, especially considering I have the pensions and Social Security to fall back on. If I'm able to earn 5% or more of my money, then wouldn't my accounts last in perpetuity? While that isn't a bad thing, I'd rather take out more money when I'm healthy and can enjoy it. So why not take out six or seven or maybe even more percent in my situation then I can live on less through the pensions later on. Thanks for your help. 
Oh, Matt, an incredibly nerdy question about the the 4% rule, which normally not a lot of people talk about. Like that's really uh, there's it's reserved for people who have their faces in spreadsheets and calculators most of the most of the time. But it it's is reserved for all the wonks out there. Right. But it's important to have yeah. a discussion because this is something that comes up. This is something that even as you're kind of investing for your future, you need to be thinking about. But also, especially in, in Scott's case, as you're getting closer to tapping those funds, well, how much can I feel comfortable taking out? And I feel like this conversation started to get a whole lot more mainstream with, with Dave Ramsey's recent rants. <laughs> Basically, he stated the folks can easily take out 8% a year out of their retirement account and never run out of Not money. Not 4%. Twice that, yeah, eight percent, and so that it started to draw more interest from people uh, in and scrutiny from uh, dare I call them the nerds who spend most of their time thinking about safe withdrawal rates, and sadly, uh, Dave Ramsey's advice it does not hold up to closer scrutiny. So, can you only take out four percent, or are there other factors you need to consider? Of course, Matt, you and I were going to take some always sort of, additional factors, right? Some sort of gray area stance here, and it's it's not necessarily four, and it's not necessarily eight. And it's not necessarily six all the time either. There is just a lot of different things you have to take into consideration when you're trying to decide how much can I take out reasonably from my retirement accounts in a given year without, let's say, letting the, the nest egg continue to grow exponentially or without running out of money and living on cat food by the time I'm like 78. It makes me think of my parents, Matt, who recently reached retirement age and they are taking, uh, we, we've talked about taking six to 7% out in these first couple of years. Well, why? Uh, doesn't that, that's crazy. That's not the 4% rule. <laughs> are they, are they going to run out of cash? Well, the goal is to dial that back over time. And actually it's bridge, helping bridge the gap for them to take social security and get a higher monthly social security amount guaranteed in, guaranteed in the mm-hmm. future. So these are the kind of things you have to you have to factor in. If you're 65 and you're taking out six or seven percent of your portfolio every single year until you hit 70, so you can get the max social security, and then you can draw that back into the four percent range. I mean, I think that's smart. Um, I think that's that's wise. It's prudent, even though you know it, it it's not all the four percent work necessarily helps you understand all the caveats. Sure, and I mean, I also get the goal of using more of your money while you're just healthy and when you have more ability to actually enjoy those dollars. I think that's also worth considering. Uh, because being too conservative is going to come with a real opportunity cost. And that's true in retirement. This is a, a big reason why we're not all in on fire. But on the other side of the coin, I've also talked to some retirees who seem to think that the money that, is, that they've saved up for retirement is fair game when they finally retire. Like, like, <laughs> like all of that money. Like, let, let me like just break this piggy bank wide open at the age of 65. <laughs> that's, that's not how you want to approach it. Yeah. Like, you've Start got spending a, like there's no tomorrow. You've got a plan but for the long term as well. 30 years of tomorrows. Yeah. Scott, it sounds like you've got other sources of income uh, that can fund a lot of these monthly expenses with the pension, with Social Security, and your retirement nest egg. It likely isn't just gravy on top, but I think at least some of it is. And if that's the case, I think it's okay to treat some of it like that. Treat some of it like the icing on top, like the gravy, uh, which means increasing some of your withdrawals. I think it means spending in those first few years of retirement. It means not uh, living the YOLO life, but simultaneously holding that intention with knowing that like, we're not necessarily guaranteed a tomorrow. Yeah. It's a fine balance to find. And I think we all kind of find it in our own way. Yep. Yep. And um, I, I, I feel like there's a decent chunk of Americans, Matt, where they just haven't saved very much at all. They're not in a good position when it comes to retirement. And they're like, how can I make this last for 30 years? Because I need it to last. 
But Scott's in a different yeah. position. He set himself up much differently. And he's on the other side of the coin where I think he runs into the mental roadblock of being able to feel like he can draw down from those funds. And it's a different, it's a psychological hurdle that people have oh, to yeah. overcome when they reach retirement. Like, absolutely, how can I feel comfortable drawing down on this nest egg that it took me 30 plus years to build? It's like starting to remove those bricks from a building that you're building. And you're like, what are we doing? We're moving in the opposite direction. But that's the whole goal. You're supposed to be moving in the opposite direction. You're supposed to be enjoying those dollars. You built them up for a purpose. Now it's time to use them. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's a part of where I think it might make sense to reach out to a financial planner about when and how to withdraw those funds, because on our own, it can feel like a daunting task, I think. Uh, but when you've got somebody there who has, they've run some scenarios, right? They've got some models to point to. I think that can help you to see that the numbers are in black and white. And I think that for, for folks who do rely on the data, that can really help. But I think a financial advisor, one of the other benefits that they're able to provide you is sort of like you said, the mental or the emotional, the psychological roadblock that you get to when you've been building wealth your entire life, you've gotten really good at that. It makes me think of like flipping the switch on the fan, like in the wintertime. You're supposed <laughs> yeah. to do that to I don't know, recirculate the warm air down or something like that. It's something that you've never done, though. Like this is a switch you've never flipped. And I think one of the other benefits that a financial planner can bring to the table is to help kind of walk you through this. They can kind of help coach you because it's one thing to know what it is that you're supposed to do. I think it's an entirely different ball game to actually pull the trigger, take some of the steps in drawing down on your retirement. And that's where I think we talked last week with Charles Duhigg about super communicators and how, like he gave the example of the doctor, the cancer doctor and oh yeah how the bedside manner had a massive impact on yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and what it what that is about is listening to whoever it is in this case at least they're a retiree but hopefully a financial advisor that you meet with scott can be somebody who hears sort of the questions that you're asking and if you do have more of a psychological barrier to actually executing this plan they can help you to, to realize that like hey look it's it's definitely about the numbers but then beyond that let's talk about what it is that's keeping you from feeling comfortable with spending some of this money that you've built up. I think that's certainly one of the additional, perhaps even unspoken benefits that a financial planner can bring you. Yeah. And then I think there are actually nuts and bolts ways that a financial planner could potentially help paying for hourly advice could be just provide a lot of peace of mind, but it could also provide some of the, the actual like rubber meets the road financial planning advice that could be really helpful. Like you, whether an immediate annuity or something like that might be a smart choice for at least a portion of those funds, offering more of a predictable stream of income. You've already got the pension and Social Security, but do you want more uh, predictab- predictability even than you currently have uh, while still allowing yourself market exposure? You always want to still have market exposure, I think, the whole way through retirement, but taking some chips off the table in that regard, being a little less risky in your investments could make sense. And so yep. another thing, you might also want to consider something like long-term care insurance, but that depends on your overall overall net worth and specific financial situation. Taxes are another consideration, right? And uh, if you're holding off on taking Social Security to increase that monthly payout, that's another check mark in using more of your retirement dollars now, kind of like I talked about with my folks. But those are all questions worth asking. And and just to kind of yep. take it back to the 4% thing, it is a good rule of thumb. I don't think it's totally. this hard and fast rule. 5 6 even 7% of your portfolio, taking that out in some given years, as long as you're willing to maintain some flexibility, willing to cut back, let's say, if the market has a downturn, or if you just have enough you know, steady stream of income from other places coming in, that yeah, being able to pivot on that uh, you know, at a moment's notice isn't that big of a deal. I think the fle- you, uh, it's so key what you said, flexibility, because not only in fl- when it comes to flexibility it, with your spending, 
but also in what it is that you're earning. Because you might say, oh, shoot, uh, the market's really down. It's been down for the past five years. I don't know what the future is. That could actually happen. Were that to be the case, you might actually find yourself getting back in the workforce. Maybe not at the full-time job, high-stress environment, perhaps, that you're in, but enough to help pad out that retirement, uh, those retirement accounts to where you have some money to cover your yearly expenses. Yeah. And that's what it means, I think, to also be flexible when it comes to the money that you are earning, not just the money that you're spending. Yeah, so hopefully that gives you an understanding. Like, the 4% rule, I think, is a good guiding light, but then there's a whole lot of wiggle room inside of that. And I think you're definitely in the position, Scott, where you can take out more of that given kind of the rest of your overall financial situation, and you don't need to fret about it. You don't need to freak out. And I will say, meeting with a financial advisor, Matt, we talked about that. That could be helpful. But also beware that they might opt to, to they, they, they might say that you need to be more conservative. And I think sometimes that's the trend is to say, oh, no, 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 you need to have more access. You, the 4% rule is set in stone, but it's not. Um, and I think you, you there is more wiggle room in it. While you might not want to go Dave Ramsey level, like somewhere in between, it might be where you want to settle. But we've got uh, more questions to get to on this episode, including, and we'll talk about balance transfer cards, when those make sense. We'll get to that right after this. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So, it's safe to say, it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. 
For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we're back for the break, and we're actually going to hear from Gabe. I mentioned that because he doesn't say his name in his recording. Shame on you, Gabe. Come on, Gabe. <laughs> it's totally fine. That's but the rules, man. He has a question about the health savings account. Hey, guys. I have a question about our favorite investing vehicle, the HSA. But first, here's a quick background about myself. My wife and I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. We're 28 years old, and we're nowhere near retirement. But we have gotten off to a good start over the last few years, in part thanks to advice from your show. We've been diligently contributing to our tax advantage accounts and we're starting to see our investments grow. My wife was talking to a coworker the other day who was retiring early and they said they were going to use their HSA funds to cover the cost of their insurance premium until they were able to sign up for Medicare. My question is, can you use your HSA to cover insurance premiums in this case or any other case? It almost sounds too good to be true and I couldn't find anything that could clearly answer my question online. Does it differ state by state, or are there any other factors? Thanks in advance for your advice. Oh, Matt, I love that Gabe calls it our favorite retirement account, like his and yours and mine. And, uh, and his wife's. It's so good. It's so good. Well, I think, yeah. It, oh, I thought he was referring to the royal hour, like us too. Yeah, yeah I'm saying everybody. Okay, yeah, all yeah. of us are included in that. Yeah, we all love the HSA. And he's right. We love it. <laughs> yes, of course we do. And if you use it properly, it can make a massive impact on your ability to invest uh, with fewer tax consequences for your future. And sadly, Matt, you and I, we have been unable to contribute to an HSA for a long time. We don't have a high deductible health care plan offered to us nope. through our employer because we are our employer and we're too cheap to do that. Uh, <laughs> Frugal or cheap, Joel? Frugal or cheap? Uh, yeah. It wouldn't be worth the cost in order to give us uh, so give ourselves access so to that. So it seems like it's a frugal it's, move. It's frugal. Even though when folks hear us say, we don't have health insurance, what? Well, what are you guys thinking? Well... We still also think that it's a frugal move. Maybe yeah. we'll, we'll talk about this more. Well, health sharing companies. We're, yes. We are covered in some way. We're not completely I was uncovered. Putting that, that was bait for somebody oh, to okay. hear that and, right. and say, what are you guys doing? I heard you mention on the last episode. We basically have the equivalent of a healthcare loincloth. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not quite full body armor. Uh, but yes, it takes more effort to make that HSA work properly for your future. But if you, like we said, if we jump through the hoops, you keep the proper records, it's a top account out there. It's pretty awesome. We'll actually link to an article that tells you like all the details of how to use an HSA properly if you have access to one. Um, and, and Matt, so many people have one. Maybe they put money in one, but they don't use it to their maximum advantage. And Gabe asked this question about using it for, to pay for premiums. If you could use it to pay for premiums down the road, that would make this account even more powerful. But unfortunately, you can't. That's, that's not, right. That's one of the exceptions. Is like, not allowed. No can do. Uh, but what you, what you can do, what you can use those HSA funds to pay for is COBRA. If you lose your job, <laughs> but because Cobra can be incredibly expensive, the you might not want to oh, do that. Dude, Cobra's crazy expensive. Have you ever had Cobra? I did. So in between, yeah. When I got laid off, I was on Cobra. Um, but the cool thing is, it was during. Well, I don't know if it's cool or not, but it was during the pandemic <laughs> when the government so, picked so cool. up the tab for uh, uh, most of those months. That's true. That's true. So I remember pricing out Cobra. I think with my like back when I had a real job, not a. Otherwise, I would not have had Cobra. Yes, yeah. This is this is the most real job I've ever had, Joel. But back when I had like a normal, when I was working for an ad agency and I was quitting to start my own gig with Kate, I remember talking to the HR manager and she's like, all right, she was help, helping me out. And she's like, here are the different options for Cobra. I couldn't believe oh, how gosh. stinking expensive it was. I definitely did not choose to go that route. Yeah, so you want to use your HSA funds to pay for Cobra? It's probably going to be like, eh, I don't know, like 21, 2200 bucks a month, it's something like that. Incredibly expensive. You're going to get rid of your HSA money fast. Uh, that being said, so we're talking about what you can do 
with your HSA funds, you can also use that money to pay for Medicare premiums. Uh, and we're not talking about the supplemental health policies, but we're like Part A, Part B, Part D coverage. Those qualify. You can also use HSA funds to pay for long-term care insurance premiums. But no, you can't just pay for your health insurance premiums with your HSA directly. And, and what I say by directly is that well, guys, you can use your HSA funds to pay for virtually anything as long as you have the receipts that justify the expense. So I can use HSA funds to pay for a four-wheeler. I could use HSA funds to pay for beer. I guess you're right. Anything you want to keep cool, Tommy boy. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's not a direct way of paying for those premiums. And it sounds like, Gabe, you're talking about directly paying for those premiums with the HSA funds. While you can't do that, hang on to your receipts just like you would... Uh, for the medical expenses that are actually qualified, which premiums are not. Exactly. So later down the road, you can kind of mentally account for the fact that, all right, I've got all these, all these receipts, all these justifiable, reimbursable expenses that I can tap into my HSA for. Now I'm going to pay for my premium. So in a sort of roundabout way, you can sort of uh, pay for your premiums, but in the same way that you could use it to pay for a motorcycle. Yeah. Or yeah. a haircut. <laughs> or craft beer. So many things. <laughs> so many things. Uh, just not legally when it comes to pulling the money out. It's all about how money is fungible. And you're thinking about, oh, if I take exactly. take out money from a previous expense that I incurred 15 years ago, but I want access to that money now to pay for the four-wheeler, well, I actually have the legal and, and IRS authority to take that yep. money out and spend it on what I want. Because I've already paid out of pocket for that expense in the exactly. past. Exactly. So, um, yeah, and they just even, even a jet ski, even a jet ski. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, if you if you aren't terribly familiar with the HSA, if you have access to one and you've never really thought about signing up for it, we would just suggest reading the article that we'll link to in the show notes about yep. HSAs because they can be powerful. Because again, uh, there aren't many ways in this life where you can completely avoid taxation on certain dollars. The HSA is one of the only ways to do that. Well, let's uh, do it, man. Unless you're like one of those people who just earns nothing by taking sabbaticals, um, and that's how you avoid taxes, too. You got to play that aerial card. That's right. Right there. All right. Our Facebook question of the week is from someone who's anonymous. Uh, and he I said... More anonymous postings, by the way. I don't know if people are more like uh, nervous to... Privacy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. People people don't want everybody to know all their, all their business. Like, Everybody knows everything about us. <laughs> hey, maybe I'm the one anonymously posting in there. Maybe this is a question for me. All right, here it is. For the first time, due to a bad 2023 financially, my wife and I are... Str- okay, wife, so it is a dude. Could yeah. be me. Could be you. Uh, we are struggling to pay down our credit cards every month. Uh, we've implemented a bare-bones budget to get caught back up, but we are incurring substantial interest on our balances. I will be needing good credit for some upcoming plans to start a business, but need my financial life on track first. Is it a bad idea to get a balance transfer card to put the balance on so we can dig ourselves out without losing hundreds of uh, dollars per month in interest. I'm fairly confident we will not have a runaway credit card bill by reducing those balances. I already took a 20-point score credit score hit by having my normally paid-off car carry a balance over 50%. I want to dig out of the hole as fast as possible without jeopardizing my future plans. Any advice is appreciated. Currently looking at Discover It balance transfer card. Yeah. Joel, what do you think? That's a decent balance transfer card. It um, is. Yeah, so that's, that's one of the ones worth considering. And our balance transfer card's a bad idea. This is... Uh, we are always shades of gray sorts of dudes. So I think in not so- a simple yes or no answer. No, in, Sorry. A lo- in a lot of cases, a balance transfer card can be 
the right tool for the problem that you're in, right? There was actually another listener in Facebook, Matt, uh, recently. Her name was Lori. She just posted about her success with balance transfer cards. She transferred her debt to two American Express cards with a 0% interest rate, and she was able to pay off very nice 25000 bucks in debt in the balance transfer time frame. So she you know, paid whatever the transfer fee was. It's usually something like 3% and then paid 0% in no, interest on a recurring that. monthly basis. I love it. And so she was able just to like massively reduce the overall amount of money going to interest, which allowed her to kind of, uh, yeah, get rid of that debt in, in record time. I bet that saved her a lot of money, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Than she would have otherwise That's had to huge. pay. And it just allowed her to make that, that quicker, uh, those quicker strides to getting rid of credit card debt altogether. And with rates on credit cards being much higher than they were just a year or two ago, a balance transfer card that gives you like 18 or 21 months of 0% interest, something like that, can help provide even more relief than maybe it would have done three years ago when credit card interest rates were 15 or 16%. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. But you've got to use these balance transfer cards properly like Lori did. These cards can help or it can hurt you massively. And so if you don't have a solid plan to pay off that debt within that 0% period, uh, like within that window of time, you could find yourself in even more debt. So some folks, they end up transferring their debt, they grab a new card, and boom, they just go back to spending just like they've always spent. Uh, and this, of course, means that you're just digging yourself in a, into a much deeper hole. It's basically a balanced transfer card done right. It can provide relief and it, it can accelerate debt payoff, but you've got to be careful. And I hate that this per I, I keep wanting to say Scott, but it's not Scott. This person's anonymous, but I hate that they got burned when, when it comes came to using cards. Yeah. It, and I am confident, just like uh, he said he was as well, because it this has never happened to him before. So I think that gives me a little more, I'm more comfortable saying, yeah, maybe I think you can right make this case. happen because it's not like you flirted with having credit card balances in the past. He said he's never had this happen before. Uh, and so as long as you are treating this with the, like within the serious nature that you should be, like this is a all hands on deck, red alert. Like we have to get rid of this balance. Otherwise we're going to be even more royally screwed. Something else that makes me think that you're spot on there in your assessment is is the fact that this anonymous poster says we implemented a bare bones budget to get caught back up, right? Yeah, so yep. that is just another... He, uh, know, he knows the language. He knows the terms. That's another massive check mark, <laughs> right? In, in favor of saying... Oh yeah, no. You're taking the proper. You're taking this with all seriousness. Yeah. You're not just hoping that this is an outlet and crossing your fingers, thinking that oh maybe maybe this will stick. This is a rare occurrence, and you're taking like never going to happen again. Yeah, no. It's like you've pulled the emergency uh, fire alarm, and you're like yeah. serious about getting rid of this credit card debt. Um, and so I yeah, th that's the kind of dedication it's going to take to pay off that credit card balance in the short amount of time in that balance transfer window. Mm -hmm. We'll link to our, our article on balance transfer cards. There's a few that are better than others. The Discover It let, that the poster mentioned is one of the good ones. There are other solid ones out there, too, some of which might have longer time windows or maybe a, uh, a lower balance transfer fee. You just want to look at all those specifics yep. before you and then say, oh, wait, can I get it done in this window or not? But man, for some people who are dedicated, that's like the perfect thing to help them uh, get out of a bad debt situation more yeah. quickly. Yeah, I will say the, the only thing that does give me pause is that, of course, he didn't plan to have these balances around. And so if the same financial headwinds that him and his wife ran into last year, if those persist, if that's if that is on repeat and that happens again this year, that's the part that makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah. And I guess the part, too, because he's talking about keeping his credit score high so that he, which I assume is because he's looking to take out a business loan. He's talking about starting a new business. That's the other part that also makes me a little nervous, too. The, the waters are getting a little muddied here, and we've all got different levels of risk that we're comfortable with. But I personally am starting to feel a little bit nervous as I'm thinking about him 
possibly because what if he's like, oh, man, this opportunity is, is, is never going to present itself again. We've got to move now as far as the business goes. Maybe he still has that balance in the personal cards. He's also taking out some additional business lines of credit or some business loans. That makes me, I would just say, proceed very cautiously when it yeah. comes to what you're signing yourself up for. Yeah, that could potentially uh, be a really nerve-wracking situation to be yeah. in for months and years to come. So, yeah, yeah be, be careful. But Sounds stressful. <laughs> yeah, and, and prioritize, I would say, getting out of this debt before you start taking out a business loan and you proceed in that direction. 100%. Yeah. Okay. All right, Matt, let's get back to the beer that we had on this episode. This is called Hop Showers. It's a double dry hopped India Pale Ale from Other Half Brewing. What were your thoughts on this one? I feel like this is a beer that you would have named. Like, Hop Showers. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I've heard you say that even before, where you, it's like, I feel like I'm outside in a nice spring hop shower, just like tasting the flavors. Uh, maybe. I'm very creative. Sounds like you. <laughs> I liked it. It was, it's funny that it's hop showers. I was going to say it's, it actually, it's, it's a slightly drier double IPA. Like, so recently we've, we've had some that were bigger, like the triples where there's a little more sugar, a little more sweetness going on. Yeah. This one doesn't quite have that, uh, that same juiciness. Yeah. Some of the other halves are even, like, I would say creamier than this one, right? So this oh, yeah. one's a little drier, a little funkier, less creamy, less sweet, but still really good. Like so, it, they don't make bad beers, man. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a dry hopped pale. So I guess that kind of makes sense too. But yeah. It, it's a, or a dry hopped IPA. I was going to say it kind of tastes like a dry hopped pale ale because the fact that it drinks so clean. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And some people are like, what? They're just, what are they talking about? Because there's just like <laughs> India Pale Ale, Pale Ale, Double Dry Hop. I mean, there's a lot of terms too. If you're not a beer nerd to the extent that Matt and I are, which who is? Uh, you're, Should we give folks a, a quick quick lesson on why they added hops to beer to begin with? Uh, oh, that was uh, to keep the beer to preserve from it. spoiling on the long trip. To India, right? Well, from like the UK, they thought they're yeah. So that was that's when they started adding hops to beer, and, and evidently that IP, those IPAs were much more bitter than these kind of modern <laughs> East Coast ones we drink. I got a feeling those beers weren't anything like what we're drinking right now. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Not even close. You remember Dogfish Head at one point did like the Egyptian ancient recipes? Yes. Yeah. From like thousands of years they, like, ago. They dug up something that was carved on like papyrus. Yeah. And they actually used like some old honey that you can only get in Egypt as well. I want to say in order to kind of replicate it. Yeah. That one, I don't remember that one being super great either. I like this beer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the ancient <laughs> beers obviously aren't going to taste as, quite as good as the modern ones, but they did a really good job replicating some of them. All right, that's going to do it for this episode, though. If you've got a money question for us, we'd love to hear it. Just check out the simple instructions at howtomoney.com slash ask. And don't forget to, while you're there, just sign up for the newsletter, howtomoney.com slash newsletter. And just a reminder that we've actually lowered the threshold to get sweet How to Money swag for referring that's your right. friends to the How to Money newsletter. So if you're already a subscriber, let a couple friends know. And guess what? Pretty soon... We'll send you money. We'll send you a book. That sounds kind of crazy. Like, but we'll actually send you money. Uh, <laughs> we call it beer money. We'll send you beer money. It's beer money. Yeah, beer on us. We'll send you a book, and you know, maybe if you get to that elite threshold, we'll send you a pair of how to money socks as well. So. That's right, man. But that is going to be it for this episode, buddy. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. girlfriends it's me carol fisher back with another season of the global number one podcast the girlfriends last time we investigated the murder of gail katz this time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.